0: Dads with Swords! It's surely illegal! Dads with Swords! Dads with Swords! It just shouldn't happen! Dads with Swords! Hi, welcome back to Dads with Swords. It's, uh, it's been a while. <laughs> a little bit. But uh, we were, we've just been busy. Uh, we're actually putting together a show at Historic Fort Henry here in our hometown of Kingston, Ontario... And we're three weeks into it, and it's been going really, really well. And Brian, as the uh, the leader, de facto, uh, how do you feel? Pretty damn good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know me, uh, Fort Henry was my pretty well my first real job coming out of high school, working in the Fort Henry Guard. Weird to call it a real job because the job is to put on a costume and pretend to be a soldier for <laughs> you know nine hours a day. Like professional LARPing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> professional Victorian LARPing. Yeah. Yeah, some, uh, some might say it was your first wife, uh, your current mistress. Yeah. yeah, Kind of, kind of an old flame. Krista was apprehensive about this fort back in those days. <laughs> and not not necessarily about the women who worked at the fort, just about the fort itself. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think she likes it. Yeah. She tries to hide it, but uh, I, I saw her when she came, and she kind of looking back in these old walls and kind of going like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we had good time. Uh, it's uh, more and more like every time I hear stories of uh, your days as a guardsman, um, I just I can't help but feel like I missed out. Like I I've never owned a drum kit, uh, but I'm constantly tapping, and like I'm not a good drummer by any means, but like I I like to think I'm competent. I played a lot of rock band. I played a lot of uh, Drum Mania. Yeah. You know? But uh, like seeing the drums do their things, like I oh, I could have done that. Like. Like I just missed out in my like student summers uh, of of being able to do this, and and definitely like there's a uh, like like a veterancy. Like everybody is former guards people. Like you just hear about you know oh I, like you know your number. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I don't know. Like can 1981 you... for any rookie listening. <laughs> there you go. So what uh, what were summers like for you? Like were they really just basically like summer camp? Like, I would have to imagine. Yeah, kind of. It's just a uh... A very weird and completely different world. This is that one podcast that, like, we'll have to do a part two of oh, God, this. God, yeah. Because you need to hear the Krista side of the story, too. <laughs> but you just, like, you come in. I remember my first year, I was in a, a bad place in my life when I started this job. I have this vivid memory of doing our orientation. We used to do it at, like, the Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and sitting down by the rocks in a confederation park down here in Kingston and being like five feet away from other people that I knew were in the guard, like I recognized them from the orientation, but not willing to scooch over the five feet or say a word for them, just like looking down into my sandwich. Right. And then fast forward to even a year later and coming back for that second summer and it was just so much like coming home. Yeah. And you end up with your own language and you know all these weird words that none of your friends know. and. You can't help but when you're standing at a crosswalk and the light turns green, all of a sudden shooting out your left foot to start marching because that's just what you've been doing for hours and hours every day. Yeah. Yeah, not uh, like doing the little bit of drill that we, we have been for this uh, saber demonstration. Uh, I, I can see you definitely falling into certain patterns and routines. Yeah. It's my like weird, really specific form of nerddom <laughs> where I just love precision and people moving at the same time. Like I say, there's a Venn diagram, one says swords, the other says drill, yeah. and this just happens to be perfectly in the middle. So, exactly. Yeah, and I guess to illuminate uh, the way you keep on talking about it, but um, yeah, Brian kind of spearheaded this, uh, I guess a reenactment company, we were calling ourselves the Kingstown Guard, and just basically kind of an independent study, like we study longsword with Ironwood Sword School. Uh, There's a couple other uh, schools in the vicinity. We have uh, Maxime Chouinard's Irish... Uh, Kingston Irish Fighting Arts. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, the uh, Broadsword Academy Kingston, which is run by Jake Hodgson. And basically, it is a conglomerate of those three schools. And we just kind of have this as kind of, like, everybody likes... Doing saber, just nobody is actually doing a saber program. So this is kind of a way that we can get together and kind of nerd out about uh, saber and in particular British military saber. Yeah, it's cool. I don't. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> like it's. Uh, it's been neat for me just because working working with saber has been something I've wanted to do for a long time. I took Jake's broadsword classes for a little while. Unfortunately, time constraints eliminated that from my schedule shortly after. Um, but I like doing the, the one-handed swordsmanship and mm-hmm. the sabers. I mean, obviously being at Fort Henry for so long, <laughs> I've held enough of the sabers that I always wanted to learn how to fence with them. Yeah. And to just have a group of people that's motivated enough that I didn't have to feel like I needed to practice alone until I was good enough to teach. Everyone just practices and we're all kind of learning at the same rate. And yeah. Other than Jake, he's got a little bit of a competitive edge. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean the the skills are definitely transferable like Jake's broadsword uh, like as he was going through the the cuts and everything there he like he says they're very similar to what he he teaches. It's just that little bit different that he just kind of has to get over. And and for us like it's it's you know the basic seven cuts. There are some similarities to say German longsword in terms of angles of cuts and whatnot. It's yeah. just it's obviously one-handed. <laughs> yeah. So there's a big difference there. But uh, yeah, no, I've I've absolutely been loving it, and uh, and there, I mean, a lot of it is just being able to dress up in period uniform and or recreations of period uniform, and uh, just looking the part and and kind of strutting our stuff. But being able to actually practice it in the, like in an area where in all likelihood these techniques were probably being used. Yeah, it's it's really hard to imagine that there weren't officers training here doing that yeah, at some point. Yeah, like know, their regiment LB... would get posted here, they'd have. They'd have officers. They'd, you know, the manual existed. So I have, uh, I don't have pictures of a fencing class at the <laughs> fort, but um, but you would think there'd be some crossovers. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it, like I said, we're three weeks in as part of the sunset ceremonies, kind of like uh, like an opening comic or a, a warm up act. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, people have been really liking it. So, and we like doing it. So, uh, yeah. So a little bit of drill, and then we go into uh, uh, some sparring matches. Just uh, light-hearted, not too uh, not too heavy or crazy, but uh, definitely a little bit of a competitiveness there. Uh, we're not uh, giving it up so easy, or like giving each other points. So we're it's we're definitely kind of an awesome sparring situation to have, really. It's something yeah. you wish you could replicate in another way, and it's it's hard to do without that pressure to be performing. Yeah, but you try things that you would never try if you were really after the win. Like, if you were just after the point, you'd never try some of these ridiculous things. But because you're trying to put on a show... Yeah. It, it's fine if you fail spectacularly, as long as it's spectacular. Well, and that, I find you get to figure out what those... Like, how to make those crazy things work sometimes. Yeah. And, they work. and like, it's... I would say it's 3 quarter sparring and, like, one, Or maybe, like, five-six sparring and, like, one-six stage combat. Like, we yeah. do a little bit. Like, at the... Our first couple... Uh, um, bouts there for our first two weeks, we were feeding each other a little bit more, like maybe doing a little bit more swoopy cuts, but we definitely tightened that up, and yeah. uh, and now it's a lot more back and forth, like uh, we're, uh, ego still exists, so we are trying to win in front of the crowd, so. Yeah, it's kind of neat though, I mean, as a, a pretty prime example, one of the classic things you do in fencing is you'll adopt a guard that looks exposed, mm-hmm. you, you know, expose something and try to bait an attack, so then you can, you know what attack's coming and you can take advantage and go. And when you're a really a defensive fencer, which is what Robert always pushes us to be in Ironwood, Mm -hmm. sometimes those games just go on for a really long time. Like you try to bait them in and they're not going to take the bait and you just kind of pace around each other. But when you're in an environment like this, when you're trying to put on a show, you take the bait because it's not... You know you know that they're baiting you, but it's a challenge, like, yeah, I bet you, I bet you I can make that cut before <laughs> you do what you think you're gonna do, yeah, and you just i don't know it seems more comfortable trying to do things like that than it would in a tournament or well, and not. that's and that's just it. This isn't a tournament it's it it is at heart of demonstration, so you have to kind of play to the crowd, you have to make it exciting for them, otherwise they're gonna to be sitting at it and then just watching us kind of. You know, tip-tap, tip-tap, tip tip-tap. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, maybe a big cut and and score a point. Whereas we're just trying to do a lot more back and forth. It's not not routine drill, back, forth, high, low, high, low, high, low, high, low. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's kind of a combination of the two. So I found it really, really nice. It's neat to get into the... Some of the atmospheric stuff that you don't always get, especially if you're doing indoor practices, or, like, uh, I know Jake's broadsword class has a nice sort of sheltered area mm-hmm. practicing at high noon or whatever, but here we're practicing just in the evening. The sun's just coming to the edge of the wall, so you really get to that point where you, you realize, like, oh, if I drive him around to the right a little bit, I'll put the sun in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. and, oh, if I stay here, I can't see a damn thing, and I'm just <laughs> guessing where that sword's coming from. You yeah. don't get, get that all the time. I also... I am fencing for those detractors who always bitch about this especially in the longsword community. I am personally fencing in period footwear. <laughs> so, take that. And yes, it's very slippery. <laughs> yeah, it's uh I'm doing them uh I'm fencing in some Walmart uh, dress shoe specials. Uh, definitely not period. Yeah. But uh they kind of sort of look the part. So, uh I do need to get my my hands on a, a good pair of actual shoes. <laughs> So we should mention the the guard. Um, Of course. When uh, we are kind of the opening act for these sunset ceremonies and we said that word a bunch of times, but I want to make sure, especially anyone who's listening that isn't in Kingston, if you're ever coming through Kingston, come to Fort Henry and see what the guard is all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all college and university students and like I did when I got here, We, we train, we put on these uniforms and we try our best to, as accurately as we can, portray the British military in the year 1867. And they put on incredible Drill performances and you know play music on period instruments. It's, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, we stuck around and, and caught a little bit of the one show, and it's probably my first time since I would say public school. We're yeah. easily going 15, maybe 20 years. Maybe not that long. So, what did you think looking at it with like an adult eye and with an eye that's a little bit more uh, cast towards history in general? Oh, just just tons of respect for doing the very little historical reenactment that we're doing in our our routine. Like, the, the, the amount of training and the long hours and just knowing how sweaty we get in 30, 45 minutes, yeah. they're, they're doing it for hours on end. Uh, yeah, no, just the, I mean, there is that, like, respect for the guard, but then there's also respect for, you know, the, the guys who did it way back in, you know, the 1800s, like, yeah. and and without all of our wonderful modern amenities, like, they, they, they did it with twice the smell and and not as good as food <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tiny people
1: it's, it's tiny smelly
0: people it's humbling to be in the guard when you have those moments and i mean it's i'm, I'm sad to say that the guard doesn't do this anymore um, just due to budget cuts and all that normal stuff in the 21st century uh, but the way it used to be is that you'd have a westgate sentry. so the westgate to the fort is where everybody comes in mm-hmm. and the westgate sentry is essentially like the guards at buckingham palace right like you're standing there you've got your rifle you're Eyes front. you um, standing at attention. Effectively, there are limited drill movements that you're allowed to perform. Um, you know, three times in the hour that you're there, you're allowed to march ten paces, uh, just to you know get a little bit of get blood circulation. Yeah. And you can do some drill practice, like static drill practice, while you're there, which is great for scaring the public. We think <laughs> you can't move at all, but you just end up with this almost. You know, when, when people talk about having those like near psychedelic experiences just from exhaustion, like you're standing out there, you're in thick wool, like felted wool uniforms. Oh yeah. No, this this is wool on wool, people, because not only do you have the wool coat, you have all the filigree and accoutrements yeah. and braiding. And then for uh, for somebody in the, in the drill squad carrying the long rifle, the Snyder Enfield long rifle, you've got 10 pounds of rifle that you're usually holding in one hand plus all of the, you know, belts and everything strapped on you, all of your, your equipment that you'd have for the day, and then you're just standing there in the heat for an hour, and you can't talk to anybody, and you, you can do this drill, and those are the moments when you start to think about, like, oh, my God, what, was, what would this have been like? <laughs> to, to not, you not, don't have to stand there, eyes front all the time, but to be standing here thinking, like, somebody could come around that corner intent on killing me, and i got to be <laughs> ready for that. Yeah. Uh. Oh. They do a really good part in the uh, the sunset ceremony where they have the bugle call and then somebody just shouts out that there's, you know, ships on the horizon. Yeah. And all of a sudden the gun crews go out. And it really does kind of, like, kick everything into high gear because for the most part we're sitting around. They do the the muster parade with the kids and I think the drum uh, the drum and, and fifes go out and, and they go out to the AB. Yeah. And you're just kind of sitting there and nothing's really going on. They do have a reenactor uh, um, doing sort of like a... Uh, a play of sorts, like uh, just addressing the crowd as uh, somebody who was living there in that time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she points to the uh, the 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 shore and just basically says, like, oh, they're there. And they sound the bugle and gun crews start rushing out. And then all of a sudden you're going, like, oh, oh, wow, like this is getting intense. I'm so glad they added that. It used to be this thing that we would get to do on special occasions, like at the end of the summer when seniors were really happy with us and they'd say you know what we're gonna go and we're gonna do a battle tactics day on the on the east battery and we're (laughs) gonna pretend there's an attack and go and fire and the the east battery for the sunset ceremony used to be very much this ceremonial display at the end of the night and it was beautiful in its own way but this is a little bit more dynamic and exciting i think for the average person coming in to watch a sunset ceremony yeah i i was Quite intrigued because I didn't know exactly what was going on. Then I realized, like, oh, these are the gun crews. Yeah. And they're prepping these. And they have what? They have three large cannon and what? One cannonade? Uh, Well, it's a three. 24-pound smoothbore muzzle-loading guns. Right. So 24-pound, meaning they fire a 24-pound shot, smoothbore, they're not rifled, they're smooth inside, Right. and they load from the muzzle, and they're a gun. Right. Uh, And then one carronade, the carronade is a 12-pounder, also smoothbore and muzzle-loading. It's just a shorter gun. It's not usually meant for quite as long range. Um, And then tonight they had a mortar. It's an 11-inch mortar, so the... Uh, the muzzle has an 11 uh 11 inch diameter those are little pot like guys right yeah exactly yeah. it's uh it serves the same function that a mortar today does just a lot less sophisticated it was basically yeah, just... like a, a thick cauldron that just kind of <laughs> fired a shot at a high arc put some explosives in it point it towards the enemy and indirect fire oh, that's another crazy thing that used to happen back in the day um so i used to be on the cohorn mortar crew and the cohorn mortars are these little handheld ones um <laughs> so it's two people carrying this like wooden sled with a, with a mortar on it it's insanely heavy and uh you'd be running around with this little thing and anyway you drop it and you you load it and fire it but it used to be that they would try to um they would try to... They call it hot potatoing the mortar. So they would try to fire rapidly enough that the barrel would get so hot that they could just slam the powder in and it would ignite instantaneously. Oh, jeez. So, like, the the uh, the guy who loads the mortar is always wearing a big leather gauntlet. Right. And you just kind of turn your whole body to the side <laughs> and try to, you know, make sure you were completely away from potential flames and just fire the thing in and, and let it uh, fire off. And then, as it always is, one guy ruins it for everybody. Someone left the powder bucket open. <laughs> So they're like they're hot potatoing this mortar, just firing shot after shot, and inevitably an ember flies into the powder bucket. Oh no. The whole powder bucket goes up. Oof. Yeah, one person was fairly badly injured. Most people got off like wool, as much as it sucks to march around it in the sun, <laughs> it's pretty fireproof. Like it did a really good job of not allowing third degree burns to happen. Oh jeez. So after that the the hot potato thing had to end. Yeah, I think rightfully so. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. It's, <laughs> Thinking more bureaucratically, more uh, uh, more managerial. That's the shittiest part about becoming an adult is you start to look back on all those decisions you were grumpy about as a teenager and go, ah, yeah, I get your point, okay. <laughs> okay, dad. Yeah. Are, are you, I get it, okay. <laughs> now that I'm a dad myself. Um, so yeah, and after the gun crews did their thing, um, then out came the drums and the fifes. Yep just the drums. Oh. I mean, there are fifes there, but they just call them the drums. Oh, see? Well, there um, we you go. The, you got the the guy who does not nothing, <laughs> and you got the salty vet. Um, but yeah, the drums came out, and they did their thing, and uh, it was quite impressive, actually. Yeah, the, the drums are incredible. I mean, when you look historically, the drums would be Fourteen-year-olds, right? This right. is—you uh, had to be sixteen to join the infantry, but you could join as a bugler or a, a fifer or a drummer at age fourteen. So you, you know, learn an instrument, and they're a really integral part of the British military because they they give all the calls like right. you're marching to the beat of the drum you know from certain fife tunes whether you're advancing or whether you're retreating you know every regiment would have its its advance would have its retreat that they would play if they were retreating right and you know from the bugle calls exactly what's going on like you may have heard there um there's the uh how does it go it goes and then the captain calls form square right. and it goes bah! <laughs> they'll come in and form a square yeah. so the idea being that you've got the officers yelling these commands and you know sergeants yelling these commands it's hard to hear over the din of a battlefield so right. you have that bugle that repeats the commands so that everyone knows what's going on yeah yeah, yeah and like it, I mean it, it it functions in terms of like you have your flags you have your colors it's yeah. just there's the regimental standards Like, it's definitely a tradition thing, but it does, like you said, it definitely has its uh, uh, tactical importance on the battlefield. Yeah, and I don't know how common it would be for a regiment to have a drum corps the size of the drums at Fort Henry. Right. That's obviously... It's more like a... Part and parcel of being a performance group is that you want to have this big performance, and having a fifer and a drummer is not impressive, but having... let me do the count. uh, Twelve to sixteen fifers and four drummers and a bass drummer, that's a, a powerful display. I have to look at the numbers on that, because I, I don't know what a regiment would really have as far as a musical complement. Yeah, I would think they would have some sort of, eh, almost like a color guard, like they would yeah. have it for ceremonial purposes, but... Yeah, yeah. and uh, there there were other band functions that would happen as well. Um, I know when I was at the guard, some of the, the musicians used to, um, they would they would put on their uniforms and they would play other instruments and they were basically replicating these garrison bands that would that would happen so the, the garrison the regiment that was garrisoned here at Fort Henry they would usually be really proud of their garrison band they'd have these people who were really good at playing instruments and they'd work together as an ensemble and they'd actually go and perform throughout Kingston or sometimes have performances at the fort where civilians would be invited up to watch the garrison band perform so it was kind of a, a prestigious thing and probably the only chance like if you happen to be enlisted and also a good musician that's a chance to like rub elbows with the the fancy people in town make some extra coin yeah yeah the drums are I was nominally part of the drums Um, so I was technically part of the headquarters when I was in the guard I was the goat major so I took care of the fort's mascot it was a white saint and goat um, and I was also a pioneer, and the pioneers were these uh, the, these guys that would usually march well ahead of the regiment. They'd carry axes and shovels and saws, and like their sword is a saw on the right. other side. And I've used it to saw things. It's actually very <laughs> effective. Um, and they would go and, you know, clear paths, build bridges, dig ditches, that sort of a yeah, thing. Yeah, like an engineer corps. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's pretty much what I did in the early days. But headquarters was always considered to be part of the drums. We were more of that, you know, ceremonial aspect of, of the guard. Right. Um, and it's it's an important distinction to make. If there's any former guard listening, the, the squad and the drums historically don't get along. I mean, they obviously <laughs> get along really well because we're all friends. But for the sake of the tradition, we hate each other to yeah. death. Yeah, got to have some rivalry. Exactly. Now speaking of the the tactics that happened after the drums yep. was also amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, this is the first time I've seen it in, in probably 15 years. I can't I can't even remember uh what I saw you the last may time. You may not have just heard a volley fire there. I just heard it. I don't know if the mic picked it up or not. Yeah. No, it's uh it's impressive. When we were exiting the fort, we went across the one wall and they were actually firing across the fort. Oh yeah, yeah. When we were right behind them. Yeah. And like you had mentioned, like it, it basically sounded like every fire there was like a motorcycle just ripping off. Like yeah. it would you know, you'd hear the crack of the shot and then as the sound travelled and hit the other wall of the fort, it would just have this like sucking swoosh that would kinda of go crack whoosh, crack whoosh. Yeah, it almost sounds like you can hear a bullet going, They're not firing bullets, they're just firing blanks, but yeah but it gives that impression Uh, the the end of the show I think the end of the show we didn't actually stay right till the end we'll have to do that make sure we get some video next week or the week Mm -hmm. after I think Krista wanted to come up and she'll probably film some of the show so that you can see a little bit of what we're talking about but they uh um, the the tactics portion is when the squad and drums come together. Because right. during the tactics portion, the infantry is all the drill squad and the artillery is all the drums. Right. So the drums finish their performance and they immediately go change into their artillery uniforms oh, okay. and uh, and run out and grab the field artillery this time. So it's you know it's a gun on wheels. Yeah. Um, and uh, the field artillery they use is actually rifled. It's, uh, they're six-pound, armstrong, breech-loading, rifled field artillery pieces. Right. So they were... a a huge innovation rifled artillery because insane accuracy Mm -hmm. and distance all of a sudden and breech loading means they have a really fast rate of fire. Yeah. um, (laughs) Which we used to like we would fire them for the, uh, the 1812 overture so you have to you know fire multiple shots in pretty quick succession and you can get a really good rate of fire once you start tossing a few of the safety-oriented things out the window. Right. <laughs> you make different concessions so that it's safe for that. This is where we throw in the background a uh, commercially licensed free-use uh, 1812 Overture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go yeah exactly Tchaikovsky man I like him we uh, we actually caught that ceremony uh, Erica my wife she was uh, I don't think it was interning she was actually working for one of the local papers and uh, sent her there to cover it. So we scored uh, some tickets as swag and nice. stayed for the show. And it was actually really neat because they, in addition to traditional pieces, they also incorporate movie soundtracks and stuff. Uh, so not the I haven't really seen a lot of them, but uh, I did know one of the tunes as like the the main motif to like the Harry Potter franchise. Nice. So when they started playing that, of course, everyone's like, oh. They used to do, and I'm I'm sad to say that I don't think this happens anymore either, probably because the instructor disappeared or whatever, but they would have this waltz instructor that would come in for a few weeks, like, after hours. You weren't paid for it, but if you wanted to, you could stay after hours and learn how to waltz. Right. Um, So then they'd they'd pair us up, and they'd have... you know typically the male members of the guard dressed in in their infantry dress uniform and typically the female members of the guard would then be in a a period dress right and um we would go out and waltz to the symphony as well nice Uh, so you'd have the guns firing and then the waltzing it was really nice and uh, i don't i don't know why it stopped but i haven't seen it in a few years Hmm. yeah hands down the most fun thing i ever did in the guard (laughs) was firing the guns to that that piece of music it's Probably my favorite classical piece, which is I know super cliche, but I don't give a shit. It's awesome. <laughs> well, it's so iconic, right? And yeah. then every time it hits that note, you expect the cannon fire. Yeah, and then you're kind of going there, like they 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 shoot the cannon, right? Do they? they? Yeah, it's a long build. Yeah, and I think the first couple times where you're expecting it doesn't happen, doesn't happen, doesn't happen. And then it does, and you just realize, like, okay, that's how it was meant to be played. Here's what I'll tell you. If you're listening to the 1812 Overture, you're going to hear a part that sounds like it could belong in the soundtrack to Aladdin, right? (laughs) And when you hear that part the second time, so Aladdin 2, Return of Jafar, (laughs) you hear Return of Jafar, you know the guns are about to fire. That's the way the Overture goes. Just Gilbert Gottfried. I can, I can remember just being like in one of the passageways, and you get your fist to your gut because that's the position you're in to, to double march to run, and you're just waiting, and someone would just like under their breath whisper, "Return you to your fire, double march," and off you go. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, good oh. times. It's well, I, a it is a silly place, but it's wonderful. Like we said, every time you relate stories and and kind of have that wistful look in your eye, like I said, I definitely feel like I missed out. Like it was a, uh, uh, certainly an opportunity. I think at the time, like I just wasn't in the right place. Like I wasn't quite, uh, uh, a student of history and yeah. And but, it's the weirdest job in the universe. Yeah, like and I'm sh- yeah. I'm sure like working here at the fort, like you probably have, what is it like a 50, 50, like split of people who are actually interested in, in period, uh, history, or is it just people who see it as a summer job? You might have that split at the beginning of the summer, but by the end of rookie phase, if you don't love it, you're gone. Because it's not... It, like, it, it pays well as far as a student job, yeah. like a student summer job goes, but it does not pay well enough to deal with what you have to deal with. Like you have to love it. <laughs> right. Um, because it's all acting, you know, you're... Technically, it's improvisational acting more mm-hmm. than it is anything else, but you're still getting screamed at, and they're still screaming <laughs> your name at you, and they're still saying horrible things about your performance on The Square, and you have to be able to just deal with that, take the corrections, and then be friends afterwards, and it's... Usually, like I say, by the end of rookie phase, if you don't love being there, you've left and found a different job. Right. Well, I think that's probably a good spot. Uh, we're just heading up on probably a half hour here, so yeah. I I'll think we'll more about the fort some other time. Uh, I like that place. I was gonna say out. definitely require a part two and can even transition into how your experience in the Guard actually kind of fed into your military career. Yeah, I would imagine getting yelled at is pretty universal. It is. It (laughs) certainly is. And like I say, um, whatever week we we decide to stay for a show, the next time we'll make sure that we get some video both of what we're doing out on the square and what the Guard are doing out on the square and uh, and put that up somewhere so that people can take a look. And if you happen to live in Kingston uh, or you're going to be coming through Kingston sometime this summer or any summer, Come on a Wednesday night and see a sunset ceremony. It's 100% worth it every time. Totally. All right. Well, like I said, we've uh, been away for a while. We're hoping to get uh, a little bit more content out on a, a regular basis. Yeah, it's probably worth noting that we both made major, major moves in the last little <laughs> while as well. <laughs> yeah, there was and, that. Uh, uprooting your entire life and trying to yeah. fix up houses is a, a tough thing. And that that we could talk about in the next episode, yeah. too. renovations. I don't think we can deal that in with swords, but... Uh, Maybe hacking apart a part of wall with axes—that kind of works. I kind of did that, so there you go. yeah, that was, was kind of fun. But yeah, until next time, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you then. Dad's with swords. It's truly illegal. Dad's with swords. Dad's with swords. It just shouldn't happen. Dad's with swords.